sugar daddy, which I'm I, I was you. like, no, I'm I was talking to my friend Ryan. I was like, the whole plan was for me to find a sugar daddy. Um, and now it's turning out that I am in line to become the sugar daddy. I'm just getting older and making more money. Stop. I'm going to become the thing that I was supposed to get. Like, <laughs> oh my god! It's foul. Well, with that, <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to Cream Time, the podcast <laughs> with Silas Dean and Stu. Hi, welcome back, Stu. Hi. Oh my gosh. Hi, Sugar Daddy. What a way to start, Sugar Daddy Dean. That could be my new name, Sugar Daddy Dean. I'll see if the handle's available. Name. I'm gonna check it out. <laughs> Um, do you know how many messages I got about the last episode we did? Private messages? No. Stu, they were like, I love the podcast. Holy shit. That last episode, what is going on? (laughs) I think if you go back, just like in contrast to like a disappearance case, like that was just very, very heavy for a lot of people to process, which is fair. So funny. So my, my mom, uh, religiously listens to our podcast to get her to walk. Like she's like, Jules, I hate hi. walking. The only way I'll do it, I know. Shout out to Jules. Um, she was like, "Honey, I had to." She was like, "I stopped dead in my tracks <gasps> multiple times listening to that episode because my stomach was so queasy just from thinking about being like pregnant." She was like, "I was envisioning this woman, and like I almost felt like phantom like pains." Oh my god! I mean, I, I believe I her. I absolutely believe her. It's a really, yeah. when I first heard that episode, as someone who has never been, will never be pregnant, <laughs> I, I felt pain. <laughs> it was just horrid. Yeah. Wow. Horrible. Oh, my God. I mean, um, I'm very grateful that like, she listens religiously. Um, I feel bad that I put her through that now because I feel like I really <laughs> sunk into that story. No, you, okay. It honestly felt like we got shot out of a cannon in a good way. <laughs> we did. That's how I felt when we, do you know what it's like to tell a story like that and then just go off of the podcast and like sit in the silence for a second and you're like shaking? <laughs> you know how I really knew you were in the zone is when I could tell that you weren't, like you were just going off entirely off of your own recollection of knowing the story so well. And you were just like, Boom, boom, boom. Like you knew every single part of that story. And I was literally on, it was like being on the freaking um, like cyclone at Coney Island. Like I was. That's how like, I felt telling the story. Like I, my, my yeah. mind just like drifted away from the paper and I was like looking up and I was seeing it all play out in real yeah. time as I said it. But that's how I experienced it. I guess that's a, that's a good thing. But I. Yeah. I did want to like reference back to something that people had asked for before because they really liked our episode on the Nahani Valley and they were like, please do more that involves like supernatural or if you can like divvy it up and maybe do something with like cults. So I wanted to bring us back to the Jameson family, which we were supposed to do like weeks and weeks ago, I think around Christmas. Um, but I'm finally going to do it. I don't know if you know anything about it. Do you know the top line of the story? I Googled it. Once you said what we were going to cover, but I couldn't find a ton about it. So I was like, I'm actually not going to deep dive and I'm just going to let you tell me. I'm very happy you like paused your search because there is a cornucopia, like a web of theories around this crazy story. And it's not very long ago. It happened in like 2009. Okay. Well, so here's. Here's what I'll talk about, about the Jameson family. Um, But before I jump into it, again, just another huge shout out to the Creepers who listen. We are so, so grateful for you. We love you. Um, It recently got brought to my attention that we should encourage you 
to like and rate the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it on, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Make sure that you give us a rating because we greatly appreciate that and that helps the pod. Stu, I won't leave you hanging in the dead space this time, I promise. (laughs) And now, (laughs) Stu will give her sentiments. I'll squeeze in my sentiments. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, love you, creepers. Keep listening. Keep telling your friends about us. We, we're so appreciative. It's so fun because I know. Silas and I have always had just, like, such a natural love for all of this kind of stuff. And it's so fun that we have, like, creepers that actually suggest cases. And, like, I wish they could be here with us. I know. I would love to do a live show one day. That would be, that's my ultimate yeah, dream. Yeah, that would be amazing. Because of all the things I do with Creep Time, Same. this is by far my favorite that we get to do. Because it's it's so much more oh. casual and, like, off the yeah. cuff. And also, like, we have, like, more of a, like, a niche audience that follows these stories. So they really do interact yeah. with us and we get to interact back with them. It's, like, a little more small scale where sometimes on TikTok with the videos I do, like, it's it gets so widespread that I feel a little disconnected from the conversation sometimes. Right. So th- this feels more intimate and exciting for me. But I'll get us back on track with the Jameson family. Greatly appreciate your sentiments, too. That was really sweet. I'm tearing up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, now, this story I will brace you for because it is quite the ride. <clears throat> There's a lot of information to pack in, but there are even more theories. So we're going to get back to, like, our theory deep dives like we used to do on, like, Boy in the Box. Yes. Timothy. Okay. Um, okay. Let's see. Now... The story has this, like, eerie undertone to it, like I said, because it can go a million different directions. Like, some people say that this is paranormal. Some people say it's tied to cults or that they were hunted by somebody. But the truth is is that nobody really knows what exactly happened to this family of three. And what did happen was on a very unparticular morning, the Jameson couple, along with their very young daughter, who was about six at the time, they just kind of unexpectedly packed their truck. They left town. And although their truck was eventually found, the Jamesons were not found right away. Now, there's a lot of contradic- like contradicting evidence and like strange things that were found in and around the truck, um, as well as their home and their home security footage. But what we learned was that they packed this truck without having any conversation with each other on this security footage. It was like they weren't rushed. But they also weren't talking about where they were going, what was going on, why they were leaving. Um, We would learn more later, but the mystery of what happened to them on that day has opened up all of these conversations about what it could have been, who was after them, if they were after somebody. So I'm going to give you the full backstory, but just off that top line, does that refresh anything about this story for you? Or does it just feel like eerie and mysterious and you want to get into it? That was like the ver- that was like pretty much all I read, and I was like, well, "Wait, what?" Like the the either if it was Wikipedia or whatever I read, it was just basically that they had gotten up and like left town, and like mm-hmm. nobody kind of knew why. So I'm excited because I really just like stopped there. Yeah, there's another there's another story that's actually really similar to this. I'm remembering now. I think they're they were called the Trump family, like T R O M P, not Trump, and they were like a farm family who also, like, did something very similar where they all, like, randomly got in a car together and just fled their farm. And then they pulled the car over on the highway and, like, ran off in different directions. They were all later found, but they couldn't could not they couldn't explain why they did that. Well, well that's another case to cover at a different time. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm taking you down a totally different rabbit hole. Now, let's get into the backstory on just who the Jamesons were. 
So there's Sherilyn and Bobby Jameson. They both met in 2002, and it wasn't really long after that that they conceived their first and only daughter together, Madison, by August 2003. Now, just to like paint the picture of their lives and where they lived, this is in Oklahoma in a town known as Eufaula. I think that's how it's pronounced. And just a few months after their daughter was born, Bobby got involved in this really horrific car accident, and I looked up details on it. It was like two separate vehicles collided with his at the same time, and it's incredible he survived it. But he did have a lot of devastating injuries, which caused lifelong pain, and in turn, eventually developed an addiction to painkillers, right? A drug habit. Um, mm-hmm. It was also a stressful time, because during his recovery, his wife, Sherilyn, was essentially alone for the first year of raising their daughter. Um, and Sherilyn also suffered from bipolar disorder reportedly. So in addition to the new baby, her husband who was injured, who also couldn't work, it was just putting a massive amount of strain on the family as well as her mental health. Um, but they do keep pushing on, um, and their home in Eufaula, Oklahoma, it sat near a lake, I know, and it was kind of shrouded in like, not really a a super rural area, I would say, but definitely more isolated from most, um, kind of shrouded in trees and gardens. Very picturesque if you look it up. And now these years would pass with them living and raising their daughter here, and their troubles were sort of just beginning, and things start to intensify. And by like 2006, 2007, they really hit some very bad turmoil. So roughly around 2007, Sherilyn's sister passed away from an allergic reaction to a bee sting. Not long after that, Bobby's parents split up in this really volatile divorce that eventually turned into Bobby being estranged from his father, Bobby Sr. And this is crucial to talk about because Bobby Sr. becomes very um, violent towards the family and arguments turn physical and then turn towards conspiracy. And eventually Bobby Sr., his father, tries to run over his son with a truck. So this prompted like a whole court proceeding where... Bobby Jameson basically filed to get protective orders for his family. I think several people in the family did. And I think those protective orders were enforced, um, but they were later dismissed by the court. And the reason I bring it up is because I actually pulled up these court records so I could get like, sometimes people give statements and it kind of colors the story a little bit more when they talk about Mm -hmm. like the person they have a relationship to. To paraphrase what Bobby Jameson said about his father, he was just saying that his entire family felt threatened, that... Bobby Sr. was going to do something to them, and they felt that at all times. I kind of, like, pegged this as the bedrock of when the paranoia started, in conjunction with, like, the prescription pain medications. Sherilyn is also taking medication, but she's on and off of it because she's taking mood stabilizers and she has bipolar disorder. So this goes on for quite some time. Um, And let's see. I also found another court record on Bobby Sr., And this plays into a different part of the story. So apparently Bobby Sr. and Bobby Jameson had like 50-50 ownership on a gas station or something. Something like that in writing. It was like an old contract, um, which went under, but they were able to sell the property. And Bobby took his father to court so he could try to get his 50% of the share, which he does win. And he's awarded, I think, half of $64,000. So that $32,000 is crucial because it comes into the story a little bit later. So where does this bring us now? So we're in 2009, and I think this is a good year to start because we have the context of all of the turmoil of the family, but this is also a turning point when friends and family of Sherilyn and Bobby start to notice that they're acting a little bit strange, like their personalities have shifted. Their daughter, 
Madison, so she's six at this time, she suffered an accident at school where I think a swing set had like hit her in the mouth and like knocked out her teeth. But the Jamesons had this very um, extreme reaction to that and they completely pulled her out of school. They pulled her out of school and told the state that they would homeschool her, but there was no evidence they were homeschooling her. They just completely removed her from friends and from people in the town. Now, leading up to the disappearance, um, there were some other things that were going on uh, that I wanted to talk about. One being in August of 2009, the family had a family friend and handyman who was living with them. He actually moved in because they had some home renovations they were trying to do. But Bobby, he couldn't really move all too well. His mobility was limited because of his accident. So this handyman was just staying there and doing all of this. But I think at some point what happened was him and Sherilyn were having a conversation and she revealed that she had Native American heritage. And this guy essentially told her he was a white supremacist and an argument ensued and she would end up firing like a 22, I think a 22 pistol at his foot, something like that. She fired a oh gun. Yeah. Like <laughs> these people have been through quite a lot in a very condensed period of time. Yeah. But she fired the gun at the foot. Uh, it prompts him to leave and they break their relationship. They break that tie. And I only bring that up because it plays into potential motive later about people who were around them, who knew them, who could have had it out for the family. So that happens. Um, the aftermath is not super clear. We just know that he leaves. That same year, Sherilyn's ex-husband initiates court proceedings. This poor woman, she truly could not catch a break. Court proceedings to get full custody of her son from that previous marriage, Colton, who was now 12. So in the stress of all that had happened with the handyman firing the gun, the court proceedings trying to get custody of the son, Sherilyn attempts suicide, which fails, and she's hospitalized that year, which does not help her in her court case to get custody. Um, and the reason I wanted to mention the court proceedings is because I didn't know this, and tell me if you've ever heard this, but in most states, when you reach a certain age, I think it's 11 or 12, when it comes to custody, the court actually allows you as a minor to come in and like make a statement and speak on your behalf who you would prefer to live with. Um, and I did pull up that record and to paraphrase what her son Colton said about her, he did not want to live with his mother because he found her strange and he found the household mm. to be strange. It's, mm. it's, yeah, it's not very clear what he meant by that, but I, I wanted to bring it up. It's also really rare that a child doesn't want to go with their mom. Like, I, I, I would say, to say so, that yeah. And generalize, but it's really rare. Well, it's rare for the child to say it, but it's also rare for the court to take the side of the father, just historically speaking. So that tells me a lot already. 100% right. And like, I mean, there were external factors that certainly did not play into helping her case. I think any parent mm -hmm. who has a suicide attempt would probably not be awarded custody. Yeah. So that all happens in a very condensed period of time because this is all like right around 2009. Um, but also several people who knew the Jamesons would come forward later who said that both of the parents were talking to people in town, whether they're friends or acquaintances, and they started to mention these experiences of seeing spirits that were terrorizing them. And I think this probably fits more closely with our image of what we're thinking of for Sherilyn because we know she has mental health issues. Bobby, not so much. So it was interesting that both of them were saying this to different people in town. And Bobby actually goes as far as to contact his local pastor and he asks for 
spirit bullets, <laughs> bullets that can be used for spiritual warfare, claiming that there was a demon that resided on the roof of their house and they would wake up in the middle of the night and they would see it. And Sherilyn's oh, also gosh. telling people in town that there are three to four different spirits in that house that are haunting them and she would often catch her daughter talking to these ghosts. Now, eventually when the home does get inspected, Stu, like after all this goes down, reportedly it was like covered in scribbles on the walls and furniture, things that said, get out Satan. Mm. Reports that Bobby oh had obtained a satanic Bible um, and just a lot of theories um, that kind of played into like where all of this this paranoia was coming from and how it was manifesting mm -hmm. inside the walls of the home. The neighbors also noticed that if you would drive by the house after they went missing, they discovered that Sherilyn had like spray painted on a lot of like rocks and like junk and furniture that were in the yard of the home. All of these religious phrases like Jesus is coming. Um, and she had also told people she was practicing witchcraft. So there's a whole mess of things that are going on at this home. Now, a lot is going on. It's very clear that it's kind of coming to a peak just before this intense paranoia turns into something very mysterious. But before I get into what actually goes down, any thoughts on their state of mind? I think it paints a clear picture that they were both clearly unwell. Yeah, unwell and that, like, there's a lot of contradictory things happening. Like, really, like oh they my God, yeah. sound like they're religious. They're, they believe, you know, in God and Jesus, and they're looking for protection from Satan, but then the wife is practicing witchcraft. The satanic like, Bible. There's Yeah, like there's just a lot going on. Certainly people are in a state of paranoia and um, like uh, suspending their uh, reality. The reality is kind of bending <laughs> a little something bit, else. for sure. Well, yeah. it's really strange because when we get into some of the people who would interact with them on the day they leave, and even the day prior... Most people reported that they seemed very lucid. They seemed perfectly fine, like a loving couple. Very, like, like there was nothing to suggest that they were on the brink of like a mental collapse, which is really so odd. Crazy. I wonder. Yeah, like I wonder if they start to just like believe their own reality so much that they can almost just like function in normal ways. Like they can find ways to function in society because they actually believe this to be true like yeah oh, it could have something to weird. do with the house too as well like being in the confines of that space allows you to really like you're saying yes. like let your guard down and you don't have to mask as much that might have been what was going yeah. on but i just found that odd like in the context of how strange this case really gets to think that people who yeah. saw them and talked to them found them very like blissfully normal <laughs> and at this time they only have their daughter living in that house yeah it's just the daughter the son colton okay. had already he had already moved in with his his father from the previous marriage so he's out of the picture dad. or his previous yeah yeah, pre okay. yeah his biological dad okay. now here's what we know for whatever reason the family had set this plan with their daughter that they were going to leave Eufaula, Oklahoma, and they were going to live on a 40-acre plot of land in a very, very remote section of Oklahoma where Bobby planned to buy a storage container and his family would live in that. Nobody knew why. What? It, it just, like, wasn't clear, like, if they were trying to escape um, or if they just, like, wanted to disappear and just get out of, like, public eye, but... All we know is that Bobby and Sherilyn had this interest in living in the storage container in the middle of nowhere in the mountains of Oklahoma. 
So they did visit this plot of land, and there were witnesses who interacted with them, like I said, in October 2009, who mentioned all of the things I said, like the couple was in good spirits, they seemed lucid, they seemed really in love, and it was completely counter to all of the bizarre behavior that was described by people who knew them, but also what they would later find what was going on in that house. So on the following day, October 8th, 2009, this is when the couple is seen on their home security camera packing the family truck with their daughter and the family dog, Maisie. Now, like I said, what was really odd about this video is that while they're packing it, Stu, they're not interacting with each other. They are quietly and kind of like avoidantly, like walking past each other, just quietly loading things into the truck one by one. And they would also do this weird thing where they would just stop in the si like in the silence of what they were doing and stare in different directions and pause. Wouldn't say anything, wouldn't speak. Wait, who captured this on video? So this is their own security camera. So around, this is like from back when like Bobby Sr., like Bobby's father was like terrorizing uh -huh. the family. They got the restraining order. Oh, he got oh, security oh. cameras. So gotcha. that's when I think like oh, the paranoia started, but that camera was always on. So when police eventually searched the home, they find that footage and they're like, what is going on here? Like they're not talking about where they're going, like what the plan is, like if they're right. going to stop somewhere, they're just quietly packing and they're not rushed. I want to stress that too. They are incredibly unrushed and very paced, which also makes me think they're not being chased or hunted. Like it wasn't a rushed escape. Isn't that odd? Huh. So weird. Like they knew where they were going almost. For sure. I mean, they definitely, like, they, like had, they, they had intent behind whatever they were doing beyond like, the storage container like it seemed like it was like dutiful almost what they were doing yeah well some people tie this into the paranormal theories too which we'll get into saying that they were compelled or didn't know what they were doing because if yeah. you watch the video it really does look like they're in some kind of a trance like they're like checked out from reality God. so Even eventually little girl oh yeah yeah she's also not really engaging with most of this although she's not in the majority of the footage i think she's kept inside until maybe the last couple of minutes before they load into the truck. But still, there's almost no talking. Hmm. Now, eventually, they do get into the truck. They depart the home where they would drive 30 miles to Red Oak, where they revisit the same plot of land where they intend to live. And this all happened on the same day. We know that. They met with an associate later that day before they would go up the mountain. This was an associate who um, was in affiliation with the landowner. Again, he says they didn't seem rushed or nervous. They seemed completely fine, very lucid, normal couple. And after that, they just take off into the mountains. And at some point, they pulled that truck over. It was locked. And then nobody knows what happened to the family after that. They fell off the face of the earth. Now, I'm going to get into the discovery, but any thoughts on that? I mean, that's like out of a movie. It's like, it's like wrong turn or something. Oh my gosh. Um, no, I just want you to keep going. I okay. like don't have any budding theories right now, like other than the paranormal thing, which to me just seems so crazy. It so feels it, like... it feels like it feels like I can dispel a lot of the paranormal thing because I have so much context about their mental health state and like where the, maybe they were on drugs. Right. Like there are a lot of theories here, but uh, the discovery definitely colors this a little bit more. Let me tell you what they found in the truck. So. Okay. A shocking number of days actually passed before the Jamesons are discovered missing because they were very private and removed people at this point. So they didn't have daily or like 
weekly correspondence with friends and family who were checking in on them. Like, it was not unusual for them to just kind of go off the grid for a few weeks. Um, and their daughter had already been pulled out of school at this point. So there's really no accountability from the school system um, who's checking in on Madison. By October 17th, this is a Saturday, there were some bikers who were going into the Red Oak uh, Mountains to hunt. And they discovered the Jameson family truck abandoned on a dirt road. So they called it in and reported it to police. Now, <laughs> county police did assume that the truck was probably <laughs> stolen and abandoned. So they were like, oh, that's not an immediate cause for concern. We can just... We'll, we'll like go check it out in a couple of days kind of thing. Now, eventually one of those bikers does call back and he's like, this truck has been here for days. Somebody has to come out and look at it, right? So, <laughs> like... <laughs> okay, county. Yeah, so county, they make their way up the mountain and they, they check out the truck. Now, they peer inside the windows and the first thing that they spot inside the truck is movement. So the Jameson family dog, Maisie, was still in that truck and was barely alive because more than a week had passed without food or water. Um, I think oh my she, God. I think she had broken into like something that was left in the truck and that was able to like just barely sustain her for that week. So they smash the window, they get the dog out, she's rescued, and they open up everything in the truck. Whole new territory of confusion for what they found inside. So on the inside of the truck, it looked like they left all of their clothes, like all of their warm clothes, their jackets, like things you would probably need if you left the truck in the mountains. Bobby's wallet is inside. It's completely untouched. Still has everything in it. Sherilyn's purse is there, also untouched. Their shared cell phone, a GPS unit, still inside the truck. And one of the, the stranger things that was found was this 11-page document that was handwritten from Sherilyn. And it was directed at Bobby, essentially like spilling all of this this information about how miserable she was, how much she hated him, how unhappy she was in the marriage, and just kind of like spewing all of this out. And beneath that, on the floor of the truck, is a brown paper bag with $32,000 in cash still inside the truck. All of this was left. All of this was confusing. So they launch an investigation. Police kind of treated the scene as like a possible crime, and they looked for signs of potential struggle. Maybe there was violence. They found nothing. There's no blood found outside or inside the truck. There's no signs of an argument, physical altercation when they check the dirt of the road. Um, they couldn't even accurately find, like, additional tire tracks that would have, like, coincided following this truck and pulling off to the side. No physical damage to the truck itself, and the things seem to be in working order. So something just doesn't feel right. You know, it, it was also particularly concerning because there was a six-year-old girl involved in this case, and now... We have these two reportedly very unstable parents, um, and they have a missing child. So a manhunt ensues because they're going to try to find out what happened to them in these woods. So eventually we get like 400 volunteers, right? They join the search efforts. Stu, like, <laughs> this is when County, like, really showed up. They must have, like, tapped state or something because, like, they got horses, <laughs> ATVs, drones, aerial searches, 16 cadaver dogs hunted those woods. Oh, my God. Found nothing. No trace of them. So the big question on everyone's mind is what happened to the Jameson family and why would they abandon their truck and all of their belongings? Now, this eventually leads to a search warrant where police go back to the Jameson family home and that's where they get the security footage that uncovered tons and tons of details as well as all of the things I mentioned, like the writings on the wall and the furniture, the spray paint, um, the Bible, uh, and specifically a few things that were seen on that camera 
that were not found in that truck. That really perplexes me. So upon further review of the footage, they checked one by one for all of the items that were loaded into the truck, right? But there's a couple of things in particular that were missing. One was this mysterious brown briefcase, which Sherilyn brought into the truck with her, and the contents were unknown. Mm. The brown briefcase was never found in any of those woods. Police also made note of the 22 caliber pistol, which belonged to Sherilyn. It was in her name. That was not found in the home, and it's believed it was kept in or brought into the truck. Also never found. Mm. Now... This is where shit starts to get really wild. Something that really concerned police was the cell phone that was left in there, right? So they take it and right. they backtrace some of the um, the final calls that were made. Uh, there was nothing that was out of the or- ordinary at first. Like everything was sort of explained until they find one phone record that would show an outgoing call to voicemail from that cell phone that was made on October 12th, which would have been several days after the Jamesons had reportedly disappeared. And don't forget that phone was found inside of a locked truck. Keys were never found. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. So what was also discovered on this phone, Stu, was a picture that was taken of Madison. And she appears to be standing in the woods right off of from where that truck was found. And she's alone. She looks distressed and confused. I think it looks like she's crying. Um, the person who took that picture... It's unknown. It could have been either of her parents or it could have been somebody else. Um, And police would eventually go on to make a statement, I think, in their official press conference on this, where they sort of marveled at just how odd the circumstance of this was, having so many clues and so many leads that were kind of left behind. But it's it's almost impossible to tell which direction this could have gone in. And with all of those search efforts kind of continuing at the rate they were, And as they were getting closer and closer to the hunting season, it just became, like, increasingly unsafe to have those people out there, like, looking for the Jamesons. So the efforts Mm -hmm. are eventually called off, and whatever happened to the family sort of remains this unsettling mystery until about four years later. Before I get into that, (gasps) thoughts on the discoveries on the truck. Oh, God. Um, Okay, so my first, my gut instinct was, and maybe... It's because of, like, the whole Debbie Collier thing mm-hmm. that I was thinking, like, was this a suicide, like, weird family suicide plot? That's that a big theory Sherilyn here, for sure. Um, but the photograph of the daughter and outgoing voicemail, it's like, could there have possibly been a, like, backfiring in it? Or, like, the husband decided that he was going to go along with the plan and that the last second was like, I'm not doing this and like took the daughter somewhere. Like I am just, all of those things seem totally totally... plausible. That's what I thought too. Yeah. But I mean, here's the thing is like, as more clues for this kind of get uncovered, it just becomes more and more confusing. Like, cause that makes perfect sense, right? It's like, okay, parents go missing with their daughter. They're both very unstable. They sort of leave all of their, their worldly possessions in this truck and then they just go off into the woods and there's this missing gun. Okay, it probably sounds like, yeah, like yeah. a murder-suicide pact. Yeah. There are some things that get uncovered that don't really make sense. Let's get into what was actually found four years later. On November 6, 2014, this is a full four years after the mysterious disappearance in Red Oak, a discovery was made by a team of hunters. Now, 
this is what I was talking about where there are some things here that are going to throw you on your ass because they don't make sense. Three skeletal bodies, um, including two adults and a child, were discovered all lying face down in a hollow part of the woods in those mountains. Those, <gasps> those three bodies were confirmed to be that of the Jameson family. Now, like distance-wise, this was about two and a half to like 2.7 miles away from where the Jameson family truck was found just four years earlier. So it was assumed that it was maybe far away from like, it was so far from paved roads and it was so deep in the woods. They're like, well, maybe during the initial search efforts, like no one ever got that far. They like went that way. Um, That was disproven actually, because they did search that zone. Um, They just think that maybe it was covered with leaves or like for whatever reason, they just did not spot the Jamesons there. And for whatever reason, those search canines, the cadaver dogs, did not pick up their scent. Also really odd. Assuming that they were there the entire time. We don't know. Now, but you said they were buried? They weren't buried. No, they were all three of them <gasps> laying face down just in a, like a shallow part of like the woods, like surface level on the dirt. That is crazy. It is. So since four years had passed, the remains obviously were extremely decomposed and determining the manner of death was impossible. Like the forensics team just, they, they could determine it was them and it took eight months, but they could not figure out how they died. And although many people, um, even those who investigated the case had suspected there was foul play and they mentioned um, the discovery of the skulls and like maybe there were bullet holes in there, when they examined them, they didn't find any evidence of bullet wounds, which was perplexing because at this point, there's still no evidence of what the hell happened to that twenty two caliber pistol or the brown briefcase that Sherilyn packed. Because if we were talking about murder-suicide, you would assume, like, okay, if either Bobby took Sherilyn and Madison out there or Sherilyn took Bobby and Madison out there, one of them killed the other two. And then probably themselves. Right. But the gun is never found. So that couldn't have happened. So what were they doing there? You know? Do we ever determine where the storage container was supposed to be? Well, we know it was, like, what part of land it was on because they were definitely meeting with, like, the landowners. Um, We just know it was, like, a strange, like, random plot of this 40-acre land where this storage locker would be. But I don't think it was all too close um, in in proximity to where they were found. Um, It's just that there's, like, a surprising number of evidence or pieces of evidence now at this point where they have this case that's kind of sitting cold. It's unnerving police and we have missing weapons, which is kind of debunking this initial theory that the family had just killed themselves. So the file gets picked up eventually. I think it's investigated by more than 12 FBI agents, several retired agents who actually come out and private investigators who like latch onto this. There are vigilante investigators. Eventually they even bring in psychics, um, and they solicit their help for this case, none of which had ever led to any concrete story about what happened to the Jamesons, why they left their home, and where that missing briefcase went or where the twenty-two caliber pistol went. So that's everything that's ever been told about the story. I do have a good number of theories, but does it not feel like foul play to you? It has to be something like that. It absolutely like feels like foul play. But I would think the only weapon would have been the pistol and yes it's gone so like that obviously seems strange but even if bodies had been decomposed for like four years wouldn't you be able to see like bullet wounds like in skulls or well assuming they got shot in the head i mean i guess it's possible they could have been shot in like soft tissue um 
because their bones were found, but not all of their bones were found, which kind of usually happens if people pass in the woods is that animals will go yeah. for the body and they might drag it different places. So I think a good number of their skeletons were still there, um, but all of their heads were still there. They just couldn't find any evidence of bullet wounds. So weird. And like, what would the motive be for like, well, that's the big question, getting right? Like, because we have a couple of yeah. people who we've talked about who could have been behind it. You know, we think about how the father had previously tried to kill, um, Bobby Jr., like, run him over with his truck. We talk about the handyman, yeah. the white supremacist who, like, had it out for Sherilyn when she told him that she had Native American heritage. Um, so there's a few different people who, like, ran, I guess, in the family and in their circle where we're like, yeah, we should look deeper at you. None of which actually pans out. So if I get into, like, the first... Let me get into the first theory about murder-suicide, so yeah. why we can, like, dispel that right off the bat. Now, you can imagine that this was the one that, like, caught traction at first because there's there was very little supporting evidence at the time to say that like anything else could have happened to them other than their own doing because not a lot of people really did have it out for them outside of those two mentioned i guess they just knew them as strange people um Mm -hmm. so they thought you know with all of the contextual evidence of her deteriorating mental state he clearly has issues with chronic pain and drug use um Reports from their friends claiming that Sherilyn is on and off her medication, her mood stabilizers. I mean, a lot of that can affect your logic. Um, the pistol never being found in the home, meaning it was taken with them, also supported this theory at the time because they were like, she took that pistol or he took that pistol to do what they were going to do. The question then becomes, um, who used it against who in this case? And many had turned to that 11-page right. note that was written and left by Sherilyn where she's, you know, describing this massive hatred towards Bobby. And everyone's like, oh, that's clear evidence that she was planning to, you know, get them out there and at the right moment, right time, essentially hold them hostage. Uh, The question is, is like, did she write that as a suicide note and her explanation of her actions before killing her family? Or did she write that to Bobby? He finds it and then snaps. And then he's the one who lures her out and the daughter out and kills them and then himself. The theory does quickly get despondent by, um, or dispelled rather, by friends who were very close to Sherilyn, who said that she would often do that. She like writes journals and things to kind of, as her therapy, it's her form of therapy to kind of get her thoughts out onto a page and then she just abandons it. She feels better. But the issue here is that if we talk about this as a murder-suicide, it doesn't add up, we know, because of the missing pistol. So the theory is quickly dispelled so if we go into the other theory that this was murder who are we looking at now like i said most people feel the theory of murder is the most plausible to explain how all three bodies were found together but several items including the briefcase and the gun were missing there are just a few ways that we can imagine how this probably went down and explain maybe why they were fleeing their property in ufala oklahoma in the first place The initial suspect is obviously Bobby's father, like I mentioned, because he had that history of violence towards the family. But I found out in my research that at the time, he was 67, which doesn't sound very old to me, but apparently at this point he was living in a full-time care facility and was in extremely poor health. Actually, two months Mm -hmm. after um, Bobby and his family had gone missing, the father actually dies. So that's how, how bad his health was. So it just became... It just wasn't logical to think that he was behind it, right? Police also turned to 
the family friend, Kenneth. This is the guy who was the, the white supremacist doing the renovations. Mm-hmm. He was also ruled out because he was actually in prison at the time of the disappearance. So our two lead suspects are already off the table. And Sherilyn's mother eventually chimes in on this to kind of lend her support for the theory that the family was most likely murdered, in her opinion. She just believes that Red Oak in general, these mountains, I didn't know this, but they have a they have a bit of a sinister history around them. And there's a lot of dark, um, dark rumors that spread about Red Oak. Uh, things go down there because it's often a place where people go to get off the grid. So you can imagine that you run into some shady characters. Sherilyn's mother believes right. her theory that the family saw something in those woods they weren't supposed to, and then they were eventually made to pull over and then lured out into the woods. Um, which seems plausible, but this also opens up the wider conversation about motive. Because, yes, if they saw something they weren't supposed to see in the woods, that would make sense. But again, so many of their personal belongings were left inside of the truck. All of that cash. Yeah, and the dog. The dog, the cash. I mean. The cash is what's hanging me up. Like, I can't get over that they left that behind unless it was to, like, throw the scent off or something. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. It's yeah. It almost seems like a planted um, clue to just, like, disrupt the entire thing because it, it really throws you on your yeah. ass about motive. But there's also, I mean, there are some theories that they were actually going up there of their own doing because there were rumors that they were involved um, with meth in the community. They said that Bobby was having problems with mm. meth, as was Sherilyn, um, which a lot of people kind of, it's like circumstantial evidence. And they were like, well, look at their appearances. Like they were very thin. And I'm like, that's not concrete. We can't like go down that rabbit hole unless there's like legitimate evidence. But a lot of people have said, well, look at the brown briefcase. Like she packed a brown briefcase. Maybe that was like where they kept their paraphernalia and it's possible mm-hmm. they were going up to Red Oak and had gone there previously because a transaction was supposed to go down. They were going to sell what what little they had left, um, maybe for some extra money before they were going to move off the grid and live in that storage container. It just, it still didn't make sense to me. Like if the, the deal went bad and the briefcase was taken, the gun was taken, like the meth is stolen, whoever took it, why again, they would not take that cash. They must have gone in that truck. Unless the people that they ran into were so far, because we're 2.7 miles away from the truck, they might not have even known that they had a truck, like, and that it was there and that there was cash in it. Well, then there's the question of, like, like, what were they even doing outside of the truck? So they pulled the truck over, and then why did the Jamesons get out of it and walk those 2.7 miles? Because maybe they were, like, doing some weird, like, drug transaction, and they had to do it really far out of the way and like the weirdest thing is I was thinking about this is there a possibility that they had promised this person or whoever like cash and then they just decided not to give it to him for whatever reason they were gonna like trick him and the person flipped out and killed him oh I mean that's totally possible absolutely it's just like if I think about that I'm thinking like why would that person so here's the thing that like kind of dispels them pulling over the truck and like walking two plus miles into the woods for me is that they didn't take any kind of map or GPS system with them. They left it all in the truck. Mm -hmm. So to walk like almost three miles through like uncharted woods, that's like really far off the road. If you're like going to a specific like meeting point or location, it seemed far fetched to me. It felt almost like they got lost or something or like they were lured. 
deep into the woods. I was going to say, or they were like dragged, their bodies were dragged there afterwards. That's possible. Although, no, that wouldn't work. No, but that wouldn't work because dogs would have smelled their scent. Totally. I w- well, it's, we're also assuming that those bodies had been there the entirety of the four years because they had previously yeah. searched that area and the dogs didn't pick up anything. So it's possible they were killed and then maybe their bodies were placed there later on. Yeah. That's very like a, um, oh God, what was the third case we ever did on this podcast? Um, oh, it's like 13 minutes, um, the missing 13 minutes or something with the hairstylist who went missing. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, Pat, then, Pat. Was it Pat? Something. I thought it was like Polly. It's Patricia. De- yeah, yeah. Um, Patrice. Um, Patrice. Patrice Endress. Endress. Yes. Okay. We're there. Um, that's what I thought of though. I was like, that was clearly an instance, maybe, of like she went missing, and whoever had that body, they found that they had the body in their possession for a full year before they placed the body in that like creek in the woods. That's, yeah. That's kind of what this feels like. Like they it does. like they were killed and then carted off somewhere. Although if they were killed. That's also a question because when the search had launched, there was no evidence that was found near the truck to support that there was any struggle, that they hadn't left the truck willingly, or that there was any sort of um, violence. There was no blood. So it's possible, I'm imagining, that they're forced to pull over and then maybe brought into someone else's car at gunpoint, bring the briefcase for whatever's inside it that's of value, um, and then they drive them to a remote location, kill them, and then later on, after the the search and the hype dies down, they plant those bodies back in the woods. That's my thought. Yeah. I definitely think that the bodies were planted because it just doesn't make any sense that they would all three be face down. Yeah. Um, but I still can't get over the cash. The cash. Well, so here's, here's my other thought too, and this kind of ties into the third theory, which is about the cult connection, because maybe they're working with people who don't even want their money. They don't need their money. Yeah. So this is where the theories get really interesting. Now, a friend of Sherilyn, she just like could not accept that, like the mystery of what had happened to her friend. And she kind of became crazed about it. Like she had to understand what was happening. And she had heard rumblings while she was doing her own like private investigation on this of a cult in Oklahoma known as the United White Knights. Now, a friend of Sherilyn's, um, this friend, Nikki, she put out a public campaign seeking more information about what could have happened to her friend, happened to the Jamesons, and if it was possibly connected to any kind of a cult or like a group, a religious group, a satanic group, some group of people who would have known them and had it out for them. So she gets this really eerie anonymous phone call from a woman um, who allegedly, I guess, like said that she broke from this cult that she was talking about, the United White Knights, and confirmed over the phone, saying that she had seen them before and knew for a fact that for whatever reason, Bobby and Sherilyn were on an internal hit list with the cult, and she did not know why. Now, this cult that they talk about, they say that it operates within the Red Oak Mountains, like within that rural area, um, but nobody knows for mm-hmm. sure. It's just speculation, and we don't even know if what this friend Nikki is saying is true. Um, But what she goes on to say is that once she got this tip on the phone, she decided to go up there herself and explore it roughly a year after the call came in and the disappearance had gone down. The way she described the area, she went to exactly where the truck was found like a year ago. Um, And then she also went to the area where the bodies were found, I guess. Uh, Oh, wait, no. She would later go back to where the bodies were found after they were discovered four years after the disappearance. 
And she described every time that she had been there in those mountains, like she was constantly being watched and the feeling like she was being followed and monitored. And eventually when she's out of her, her car and on foot, she hears two gunshots, which she believed were warning shots and prompted her to go back down the mountain. Now, what? yeah, the theory, it seemingly supports that at least one other person, of course, might have been involved in what happened to the Jameson family. And it just kind of shifts the intent and the motive a little bit. The question is, if they were involved in this cult in some way, which could play into, you know, the highly religious statements they were making, the stories about practicing witchcraft, um, and why they were making these repeat trips to this mountain, why they wanted to live in that mountain for whatever reason, it it seems to like be a plot point. We're just not entirely sure how legitimate it is. Like anybody could have called this woman and said anything, especially if she put out the ask and she's yeah. like, "I want to know if they could have been involved with something." But how does that feel? I don't know. I don't know. It. I mean, it feels kind of wacky but mm-hmm. at the same time don't you think the idea of living in a storage container feels like you're like like hiding like you're going on lockdown from something oh absolutely i mean they were dead they pulled their their daughter out of school and they stopped talking to people yeah. they were definitely trying to like yeah. disappear it's just like why why i mean it does kind of feel like so i i don't know it's it either feels like they're running away from these like demons or mm-hmm. this Thing that's out to get them sort of that's imaginary or it feels like they're hiding out from a group that's targeting them mm-hmm. like there could have been very real people in a very real group that was behind some of the chase and the paranoia but they were yeah like yeah. preying on people who were already in like a withered mental state and were already paranoid yes. people Yes. That could make a lot of sense. I just have to know, like, what was in that brown briefcase, even what's suspected of being in there. Because, like, that would give so much more color to the story because, I I mean, it's missing. So clearly it was of value to whoever encountered them. Um, yeah, cle- exactly, Clearly exactly. of more value than cash. Like, that's what's crazy. Yeah, that's what I can't get over. What Do you have theories about what you think is in there? Like, do you think it was meth and, like, paraphernalia? The only thing I ever read about the theories of what was in there was sort of the meth theory that, like, they were going up there to, like, sell meth, and it was, like, a transaction that had gone wrong. Although, this is also countered, I have to say, by, like, people who knew them, because a lot of their close, like, close, I guess you should, you should say friends, or, like, people in town did not believe that they would ever do meth or would get involved with meth, and... I wouldn't necessarily say that they needed the money, I guess, because he did have that $32,000 and he was also living on state aid at the time. And it's not like they were going to have major expenses. They're living off the grid in the storage unit. like Right. So I just, I couldn't really imagine like why they would get involved um, in, in the meth trade, I suppose. But who knows? I mean, anything could have happened. But you kind of touched on maybe the other theory that we should talk about, which is their paranoia that they were being chased by something not of this world. So there is an additional theory that this had something to do with the paranormal. Are you like fully rejecting that one right out the gate? Or is there like a little bit of weight to this one? You know what? I'm not. I'm not because I keep thinking about um, also that they pulled their daughter out of school. It Mm -hmm. feels very um, convenient that she happened to like fall and kick which she her teeth got kicked in or something her mouth it was like a, i think it was like in. a swing set that hit her mouth yeah and her she lost like two teeth or something 
Okay, so like that seems like such a low barrier, like low bar of entry for them to be like, we're pulling her out of school. Like, right, this is right. our like this is our excuse to get out. Like, this is our excuse to take her with us. Like, it definitely seems like there was something premeditated about that, and like that's why she was obviously, I'm sure, looking so unhappy in those photos. Like, oh, Stu, we're gonna have to look this up after legitimate... the pod so you can you can see what she looked like. I'm telling oh my you, God. I find it. I mean, the, the picture is it's a very old photo, obviously, because it's from like a 2009 cell phone, but. It it, yeah. it paints a clear picture. And I think they did officially determine they were like the exact spot where she stood was precisely 200 feet away from the car, the truck. <sighs> Poor thing. Oh, my gosh. I, I feel know. like she just like got caught in the crossfire of two parents that were like on the verge of just insanity. And this was their perfect excuse to take her away with them. Yeah, I mean, it's very possible, I guess. I mean, if we concede to this theory or we give it like a little bit of weight for conversation, the idea that something paranormal was going down, obviously you can imagine like the theories around this kind of run rampant because I think any sort of mysterious disappearance or case like this that involves like the discovery of the home and like there are these religious relics and like spray paints and, and, and writing on the walls and the furniture, like it feels like something out of Amityville. It feels like a movie. Yeah, yeah. That in addition 100%. to that very eerie silent footage of them packing the truck, which could have very easily, I'm sure, been explained by like, I don't know, a, a shared mental illness. Maybe like they're in a catatonic state or a state of shock, any number of plausible explanations. But it does feel unnerving to watch it and not consider all of the previous things they had said for months, if not like years at this point, that their house was being terrorized by demons. Totally. Now, yeah, like some sort of possession thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he had even, Bobby had even inquired about how to perform an exorcism. It's not clear on who. So, okay. It, whether it was real or it was in their heads, I just find it strange to imagine that both of them shared the same delusion that they were being haunted, if that's what was happening. Yeah. Does yeah. that happen often, though? I mean, if two people are experiencing, I don't know, a form of psychosis together in their home like can can it actually like coincide like can they like feed off of each other and like build up a narrative that's not true no i think in because i think in most you know cases like that or stories that we even see in you know horror movies it's normally that one partner starts to dip into paranoia and mm -hmm. there's the other one that's kind of like the straight man that's like the one that's keeping them like um or trying to keep them on track as much as possible. But I think in this case, because it's, you know, real life and both of these people were in really fragile mental states, they probably fed off of each other's fear. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like there's a certain point where just like your anxiety and your fear becomes such a huge reality for you. And you start to just like believe it yourself that, like having someone else there to corroborate like your own anxieties, like I'm sure it just spiraled and they just both were at one point in or, or another feeding off of each other's like own delusions, which totally. it, it makes me sad that we can't like go back and, and interview like the daughters, like teachers, if they notice like strange behavior, because like that shit mm -hmm. shows up at school for kids. Like, Oh, yeah. I would have been really interested to see what her personality was like. I mean, we had all of these accounts, like even like public statements from the court records of people even in their circle, in their family, saying that they're strange people. 
And I think a lot of people had assumed that if it wasn't just that the two of them shared, um, like, a mental health issue, it could have been drugs. However, I will just say, like, yeah. officially, police did mention in their press conference, they never found any evidence of illegal drugs in the home or the truck. They never what? found... Yeah, all they ever found were prescription medications for pain relief that were prescribed to Bobby. Um, and I think mood stabilizers for Sherilyn. So... That also, I think, played into the paranormal theory for a lot of people because they were like, this is insane. Like, <laughs> clearly somebody did something to them, it would seem like, but we don't have any evidence of drugs. We have missing items, a mysterious briefcase, and we have these, like, year-long reports of the family saying that, like, something's, like, watching them in their house that's driving them crazy. I just... I cite that. I also cite the strange behavior of them packing the truck in silence in that, ca like, catatonic state... I just don't really know – I don't really know what to make of it because I, I do hear what you're saying. Like p two people who have a mental health issue can feed off of their own delusions. But at the same time, I actually think sometimes when that happens, it's the earlier part of what you said where one person goes downhill and it's polarizing for the couple because the other now feels yes, they have to yes. like – take care of them they have to be the straight man they have yep. to like keep it together yeah like keep your lid on so like you can like manage the family um i don't know how often i'd be interested to hear how often it is that people both decline and sink into the same kind of paranoia and delusion together because it's obvious it's obvious like sherilyn like she might have been seeing things it's not unusual i would say for a kid to also be publicly saying they're seeing things if it's like an imaginary friend or you know she's six it could be anything yeah it's odd to me that bobby who had no history really of mental illness up until this point was going as far as to contact his pastor to ask about spiritual warfare and talking yeah. about demons on his roof. That's something's off there. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's really oh, just that... it, Stu. That's like all we have on this case. Oh my God. Th that is I can't believe that they found them four years later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder if there are any other details about like, um, there was nothing I ever found really about like additional footprints that were found like near the scene. I mean, like at this point, like years had passed and stuff. So like how much could really be there that hadn't been washed away and like weathered away? Um, they still had clothing on. Their shoes were still found there. Um, scraps of their clothing on what was left of the bodies. And then, yeah, all of their skulls face down. Okay. Could it have been I'm that they just got lost in the woods? The little girl. <laughs> of, oh. I want to hear your reaction live. Oh, and her teeth are missing. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. So when I covered this on TikTok, I was like, she looks really distressed to me. And everyone was like, no, she doesn't. She looks like she's laughing. And I was like, what? <laughs> that kid does not look happy to me. Like no, she does not look happy. She looks cold. She looks like she's, yeah. I mean, she looks like she's like, what the hell is going on? Like, yeah, confused, cold. They left all of their warm clothes in the truck. I mean, the question is really, though, just like who took the actual picture? Yeah. And why? Why? Also, like... this is such a shame looking at these photos of them from like, when the little girl was a baby and they look like semi-normal. Like they look like they had it together. Yeah. No, they seem like a perfectly fine couple. I mean, even up until the point of their disappearance, like I said, those people who interacted with them in the final days said they were very normal people. 
maybe they were just very strong at pretending or, or masking, but I know what you mean. It's it's chilling to look at. Oh my god. That again, this is something we're gonna add to the list of a place that you and I will never visit. Just like the Nahani Valley. I'm <laughs> never gonna be found in the mountains of Red Oak, Oklahoma. I can tell you that right now. Absolutely not. Also, I think I just found a photo of Oh wait, maybe not. Maybe that's of what? Of the truck pack? I thought that it was like like the spray paint stuff. Only God gossip is Oh yeah, 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 that's true. She wrote that. Oh my gosh. We know who you are. Bless your soul. Like what? I'm telling like either they were being terrorized by people who did know them, whether they were people in a cult or people who had it out for them because of a drug thing. Or, I mean, this was a full throttle delusion both parents were experiencing. Oh, my God. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. There are too many just, like, bizarre circumstances that would have had to have aligned for, like, these two, like, mentally ill people to just get up to the Red Oak Mountains. And then they're preyed upon by people who just want to kill them for what and don't take their money for what reason? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I still feel like there's something with, like, Bobby starting this or, like, Mm -hmm. something went awry. Like, because it just – it's also odd that they're not really – the love isn't there, right? Like, there's Mm -hmm. no, like – because we're we're making this claim that they're both kind of going down this path of, like, falling into the delusional, like, culty, satanic thing – but also, I feel like that would require some sort of camaraderie between the two of them. And we know they're very much at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. It does take a bit of, like, strategy and planning to, I mean, to even assume that you're going to live together in a storage unit in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. There's a reason they're doing and, that. And, like, take care of a child? Like, like your kid's going to, you know, clearly, like, they had already, uh, you know, lost their desire to parent Mm -hmm. um with any love and compassion but like even just like this is awful but just base taking care of a child in a storage unit i mean that's going to be really really difficult unless they they truly were being hunted and it was they pull her out of school and they're like we know we can't school her we know we can't take care of her in a normal home we just have to get her and us off the grid because we're being hunted by people that's so crazy Which would make more sense, I think, if this had ties to, like, a drug deal that had gone bad or, like, a drug mafia or mob. Like, people who were after them for that reason, again, just doesn't add up because of the money. Yeah. And actually, now that I'm looking at, like, the messages, it does sound like they were being kind of, like, hunted in some way. Like, the message that's on the side of the house says three cats killed to date by people in this area witches don't like their black cats killed so that was from Sherilyn because like i said she told people she was practicing witchcraft and it's not clear whether or not she owned those three black cats but she's basically claiming that like people in that town or that's what she had told her friends yeah like people in the town are coming after them because of the kind of family they are or the the religion they're practicing or something to that effect my question for you, I want to know what you think about that outgoing phone call 
made on October 12th, days after they disappeared, from the phone found in the, the locked truck. Come on. Like, Doesn't that's that seem something. like somebody was there? Oh, it ha- I mean, it has to, unless it was like what you're saying, where like Bobby or Sherilyn takes the other two into the woods, kills them, and then spends days like trying to kill themselves or like work up the nerve, eventually makes their way back to the truck. But it still doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, unless... Okay, tell me, what do you think about this theory? This is what I'm concocting right now, and it's just a theory. Um, yeah. Imagine if Bobby brings them out there with the intention, or he snaps to try to kill them, right? Brings them out to the woods at, yeah. at gunpoint. They're killed, whether they're shot in like the stomach or the chest, something that would not show up years later where they couldn't prove that they were shot, right? He then mm-hmm. tries to work up the nerve to kill himself, to shoot himself, doesn't want to shoot himself, but wants to be with his family when he dies. He has a whole heap of pain medication that he most definitely had with him. I could imagine a scenario where he walks back in that direction and maybe downs an entire bottle of pain medication and then gets rid of the bottle, like either throws it in the woods, buries it, and then just walks back and lays down next to them and drifts off. But that's the only thing, though, is that their bodies were found so far from the car. Like, do you think he would have been able to walk almost three miles after i think maybe he took the medication when he was close enough to that area where he was like ready to lay down okay and then maybe like and like maybe had it with him or on him yeah yeah that's possible i mean the this is just theory because the pain bottle pain medication bottles were never really found i guess so we don't know if there's any truth to that it's just something where i'm thinking of like how this could have gone down if they truly were just in their own heads and they were paranoid and it was just a murder suicide I honestly am, like, super stumped on this case. Yeah, it's it's a really troubling one. And the police who have commented on it, they're like, it's the longer you look at it, like, the more frustrating it gets because there's just, there's no way out of it. And I don't know if we're ever going to have answers on it. Although, we have said this before, and things do happen. I know. Like, I wonder if they almost just, like, got out in the woods and like couldn't find their way back and just like starved to death or something like oh yeah like, that's a, we didn't even talk about that like what did they get out they get out yeah and they're walking for a bit they don't have their gps with them so they truly get lost and it's yeah. a remote location like you can't really scream for help and they just they just starve or maybe die of dehydration after a couple of days yeah then, or i don't know how cold it gets in oklahoma but like die of frostbite or i don't know what what time of year it was i forgot um Um, this was october 8th so cold but possible yeah cold up in the mountains for sure the only i'm with you on that theory the only issue is who made the phone call That, that is crazy to me it's it to me it's the most pivotal piece of evidence like the presence of the cash the missing weapon the missing weapon that also doesn't explain the missing weapon Damn, that poor dog, too. I am too. truly stumped. Like, this is going to be one of those cases where I wake up in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. and I text you. I, <laughs> like, Miss Cla- like Miss Clavel from Madeline. She's like, something is not right. Like, I'm going to have, like, a whole, like, that's so Raven moment where I have, like, a vision at 2 a.m. and I text you. Mm-hmm. It would be wild to hear. I'm just, I'm so stumped. It, does, it doesn't make sense. It really does not add up. And you would think if there was anything sinister, like some that went down, that there would have been a trail 
somewhere. There would have been some piece of evidence that turned up at this point, but there's there's really been nothing. Yeah. And also, last thing I'll say, too, is like, well, okay, like with the whole foul play thing, mm-hmm. I think it would be really odd for someone to have killed them. And then we know that this person, whoever they were, had a phone call that was outgoing. Mm-hmm. So they came back to the car. Why would they leave the dog alive? Like, that seems wackadoodle to me. Leave the dog alive, leave the cash. Like, nothing is disrupted or even destroy the phone. Like, I mean, a million things that you would think somebody who had just murdered people would try to do to, like, cover their tracks, cover their ass. Right. I I don't know how to explain it. I really don't. Unless, I don't know what concrete evidence there is that they had left the truck by October 8th, we just know that the truck was there and was spotted there, I think, by somebody by October 8th. But could it have been that they pulled the truck over and just stayed in the truck for a few days? I don't know why they would do that. Yeah. It was in, like it was in perfect like working order. It had gas and everything, so it was fine. So why? Oh, it's kind of reminding me of um the Yuba County Five. Do you know that story? Yes, 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 yes. That should be another case that we cover on here because it's it's definitely kind of like shot. It's shockingly similar, where like it, it all of their actions are very counterintuitive, and um, when they're eventually discovered, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, and it's also just I know I said it earlier, but it reminds me of Debbie Collier. Yeah, like, yeah. Remember when we covered that, and it was before they ruled it a suicide, and we were like, "What? Like none of this makes sense." I still have like weird feelings about that case. To be completely honest, I know I, I do too. I know it's really fallen off the radar of the media, and they've definitively ruled it a suicide. But I, I don't know. I just find the whole thing like very, very hard to believe for a number of reasons. But maybe that's just me looking into like evidence that's not substantial or really there. Yeah. But I guess we should probably wrap this one up because that's all we've got on the Jameson yeah. family. This was a, uh, I'm happy that we did something at least that sort of explored the conversation of paranormal, but we should definitely do a full on haunt at one point. Yeah. Like this feels very, like you said, Amityville kind of like mm-hmm. insidious, like something is taking over and I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can hold out hope. You never know. Stranger things have happened on this podcast yeah. where a couple of weeks pass and suddenly one of us sends a notification to the other or an article and it's like a huge break in the Jameson family case. So we'll I keep an know. eye out. Creepers, send your good juju again because this is, this is going to keep me up. <laughs> the fact that I, there's so many unknowns is going to keep me up. Mm-hmm. Again, would you ever go to Red Oak, Oklahoma? Is that ever going to be on your list? If you want to go to any of these places, you know I'm so down. I just know I'm going to be dragging your ass. I just, I mean, it sounds like a like a <laughs> bad place to be. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm more likely yeah. to go to, what was the other one we said? Um, oh, there was an, oh, the Nahani Valley. I mean, the Nahani Valley is yeah. scary, but I feel. You'd rather go to the Nahani Valley than Red Oak, Oklahoma? I don't know. Sometimes people are scarier than, than paranormal. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? A, yeah, a place where people you are confirmed really, to get their heads ripped off is a place where I would rather be. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> you really just chose the place where they rip the, people's heads off, apparently. <laughs> was that a dog in the background? You would choose... Yeah, that's Otto. I'm Otto! I'm, oh, I was wondering where you were. I was like, that's not Sue's place. Maybe she's at John's. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. I came down to um, 
Otto. Otto. I came down to visit. <laughs> I came down to visit Jules because you, um, we scared her so bad on the last. No, no, no. I was like, um, oh, what? She, Are you serious? Uh, <laughs> I was like, let me pay for your plane she's ticket. Spiral <laughs> for a week. Um, <laughs> oh god. No, she was like. She was like, your father's going out of town. Like, do you want to just come keep me company and have a girl's weekend? Aww. I was like, hell yeah, girl. <laughs> oh, I love your relationship so, with you. That's so sweet. Oh, well, I wish you were here. I know. That we could have done a, a live, um, a live scare of Jules. Yeah. She could have been our, <laughs> she could have been our guest and we would have done like a really, yeah. a really insidious case. Oh my God. Oh, I'm so happy oh you're there God. though. Well, with that creepers, I, I guess we're going to round this one out. Otto will join as well, and we will say, see you for now. We're going to keep an eye on this one because I, again, I do have, like, maybe it's just blind faith, but I believe that this podcast does something because we've had so many it consistent, does. like, solves and breaks in cases. I know. Keep keep speaking it into existence. Like, honest to God. I'll try it. Well, with that, we will catch you guys on another Creep Time. We'll say goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.